Omnibus is a production of iHeartRadio. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is The Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1007.LK1227, certificate number 12306. Lily Pulitzer. Do you think that the First Lady can play a role in influencing taste in this country? I suppose she can. Uh, People seem so interested in whatever the First Family likes. That's where I think one can lead. One doesn't know whether one leads in the right direction or not, but one hopes one does. Pulitzer, you say? I used to say Pulitzer, like Pulitzer Prize. That's right. And I've been corrected. It's By it's, whom? The Pulitzer family has written to me to request. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would you not say Pulitzer Prize? Would you say Pulitzer Prize? I think you're supposed to say Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer. I guess I can. Does that seem wrong to you? Well, yeah. I mean, I say Pulitzer Prize. I assume that. Do you think? In maybe fact, I put a big like Pulitzer. I really dig into it. I think you probably would have won one by now, if not for. So, if you look it up in the dictionary, they will say it's pronounced Joseph Pulitzer, and they'll say that's the family's pronunciation. But then they will allow also Pulitzer, like if you want to say it the way the family didn't say it. Is this this is another one of those Moog Moog? Things Do- like which one do you want to which which one do you want to be the jerk or the correct one? But I I think I hear, I won a Pulitzer Prize. I, I suppose I suppose it's all right. You can it sounds kind of old timey. Yeah, right. A, a new like a uh, like a mid Atlantic accent. I won a Pulitzer Prize. Are you mad that you haven't won a Pulitzer Prize? I, I I've am. always wanted to win a Pulitzer. Prize. I have too. I'm in I'm in furious, but I have not done anything worthy. There's so many of categories. A Pulitzer Prize. Have you done any editorial cartooning? There's a Pulitzer for that. Mm, I mean, I, I haven't like uh, shown it to anyone, but I do. <laughs> I do do it on on your peachy folder. I wonder, is there one for podcasting? There should be. There is not. I know people who have won Pulitzer prizes. There's local reporting, right? You've written for a local paper. Do you think a podcast could count as local reporting? No, but Eli Sanders of the Stranger won mm-hmm. a Pulitzer for his. Uh, see, now I'm saying Pulitzer, and I like it. It's really uh, caught on with the young people. Um, he's won one, obviously, for his reporting here at The Stranger, and it's, uh, it's I think, a crowning achievement. Uh, he turned that into a book, that story, right? Yeah. Uh, Kendrick Lamar now has a Pulitzer. He huh? Won, really? I believe so. For what? Uh, there's a Pulitzer for music. Why have I not won one of those? 
Yeah, I, I really don't want to put salt in your wounds. The funny thing is it comes with a prize of $15,000 recently raised from 10, mm-hmm. which is kind of, you know, it's a little chicken feed. Well, it's nice for Eli to get right. a $10,000, $15,000 check, but right. it's kind of funny when you think about Kendrick <laughs> <laughs> getting his gold medal in the mail and a check for $10,000. I would take the gold medal. I wouldn't even need the money. You know, our, our friend Michael Shabon uh, got a... Uh, a Pulitzer for his Cavalier and Clay. I've had uh, dinner with Michael once and his wife, but I don't believe that makes him my friend. Oh, I would call him my friend. You think I've had dinner with him multiple times. A friend of the show? I wonder if he listens to the show. But when I say our friend, it means you and I have both had dinner with the person at least once. Like you would say Peter Sagal was our friend. Sure, but we've had dinner with him together. You were just an hour and a half late. More than once. We had dinner together. <laughs> I've had dinner with him. You've had dessert with him. How do you know Michael Chavon? Oh, let's see. Uh, he summers in Maine in the, the same Hodgman town uh, that John Hodgman does. So we had dinner together there first, but then, you know, the internet makes us all friends over time because you forget how you met a person. He's not a friends unlike curmudgeon who hates the internet and... Uh, nope. No, no, no. He's His Instagram is just full of pictures of him growing and shaving his beard. But we've had more than one meal in Maine and then in San Francisco. So, so yeah. I mean, not friends like come over and draw me a bath, friends. categories. But like in the world of, of uh, the sort of name-dropping quasi-celebrity universe that I that I live in. I, I have noticed that as people get slightly famous and then more famous, like they really are quite liberal with friends. Yeah. 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 And it, and it's not, it's not even a social climbing thing. Like a popular person I talked to at a party for two minutes is my friend. They'll, they'll also use it with you, with, with the, the other rungs, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, of course these are our friends. I think that's nice. It is nice. It creates a world of just sort of, uh, well, that does feel convivial and nice and generous. I mean, there's a lot of generosity to it. And when I say, Michael Shabon is my friend. It's really his generosity yes. rather than mine. Um, yes, my wrong, it's almost always others' generosity toward me. But of course, right. 99.99% of humanity doesn't even get that small entree. Yeah, I mean, when I say Ken Jennings is my friend, you know, I know you roll your eyes like, ugh, God, <laughs> this guy again with his name dropping. <laughs> I hang out with you like five hours a week. I think you're my only friend at this point. Like, I, I don't see anyone more than you, including my kids. Well, this is a world, this world of kind of fame and friendship is a world that plays into our story today. Uh, of, of a different Pulitzer, not Joseph, the founder of the, of the journalism prize. Not Joseph Pulitzer, but Lily Pulitzer, who was born a socialite. Uh, There's no way she was born a socialite. She was born, <laughs> literally, she came out in the hospital and was at her cotillion. <laughs> <laughs> Her uh, her mother was uh, a woman by the name of Lillian Bostwick, who married a man by the name of Robert McKim, who were both wealthy scions of East Coast moneyed families. Um, what was what was Robert McKim's money in? Well, really, it was Lillian Bostwick. Oh, who, she's the wealthy one. Who was uh, the an heiress to the Standard Oil fortune? Oh, so not just a heiress, but an heiress to some big, big, big money. She was like, uh, some Bostwick back, back in the day was one of Rockefeller's partners or first hires or something. That's right. Some Bostwick is stockholder number 11 in Standard Oil or something. Let's see. Yeah. Her, uh, grandfather, Jabez Bostwick. 
Jabez was that's one a of name you don't see off of medicament labels much. He, he was one of the founders of um, of Standard Oil, along with John D. Rockefeller. Uh, and Jabez is a name. Let me get this right here, just because why not? Since we said Pulitzer right, let's make sure we get all our job. Do you think it's Jabez? Jabez? I said Jabez. I said Jabez. And you said Jabez. Jabez. Let's call the whole thing Yeah, off. like Caesar Jabez, the grape guy. <laughs> it's, me, for, it's from the book of First Chronicles, if you're, if you're wondering. Jabez? Yes. Jabez means he makes sorrowful. That's kind of a bummer of a Ouch. name. Ouch. He makes, that should be my name. Jabez is Hebrew for a huge bummer, essentially. So that's what I'm trying to figure out, whether the, whether the Bostwicks were Jewish. I don't think so. But they're not, no. Like in, uh, in 19th they're century English. British fiction, Jabez, or however you say it, is often a name for a, it's like, it's a name, it's a very, sounds very American to them. It's one of these Hezekiah type names <laughs> that, that these weirdo American Western, you know, frontier Puritans are naming their kids. So yeah, Lily's mother was, uh, was the real money. And I, as far as I can tell, her father, Robert V. McKim, all he did was marry well. Marry the scion of Standard Oil. Right. He did pretty well for himself. They were, but, it turns out the parents were, uh, they're both in the U.S. Racing Hall of Fame. They're steeplechase, a steeplechase power. Well, Lillian divorced Robert at a certain point and married Ogden Phipps. Oh, Ogden Phipps is the, is the steeplechase. And Ogden guy. Phipps is a, is a descendant of the man who partnered with Andrew Carnegie in uh, U.S. Steel. This is a real Garfunkel and Oates scenario. It really is. Where the sidekicks offspring are, are getting married. These are, these are the, these are the first families. And, you know, Ogden Phipps's grandfather was a famous, like in some ways originated the idea of an industrialist being a philanthropist, like someone who had the obligation to take that money and do good in the world. And I think he was an inspiration to Andrew Carnegie going out and, and, uh, opening all those libraries. That's probably a future entry in the omnibus for sure. But um, but so Ogden Phipps was a famous steeplechase racer and horse owner and tennis pro. You wow. know, as you have said many times, it's really the second and third generations that use their money the best. Uh, but so Lillian Bostwick married Ogden Phipps later, and that was and that that was a stepfather to to Lily Pulitzer. It does again co uh, convey this idea of a smaller America where there's forty rich and famous people, pretty much just intermarrying and covering all the bases. Right. Tennis, playing tennis. polo, all the important things. Well, that story uh, th or that version of America, I am not going to disabuse you of because Lillian, uh, Lily Pulitzer uh, was the- or, or Pulitzer, who or knows? Or Pulitzer, sorry. Hard to even say. Was the second of three sisters. Her, her oldest sister was named Mary Maud. She was named Lillian Lee and her youngest sister was named Florence Fitch. They're alliterative. They're Marvel Comics uh, secret identities. That's right. That's right. It's very, there was a cleverer time. What were their, what were their alter egos? <laughs> when they, uh, did they fight crime as uh, like gyps, uh, gypsy moth? No, it was and mouse woman. Uh, it was a steeplechase uh, <laughs> raccoon woman. And, uh, but she went to the Chapin school and was classmates of a young woman by the name of Jacqueline Bouvier. 
later you, to be known are as... Are you going to Paul Harvey this right now? <laughs> Jacqueline Kennedy. What? Jacqueline Kennedy. So who, she's friends with all the fancy we'll, rich we'll girls. We'll check back in with her. Yeah, she went to the, to the Chapin School with Jackie Kennedy. So they're, or Jackie Onassis. So they're probably lifelong friends, right? Lifelong friends. And she figures in the story a little bit later. Um, but she goes to a series of sort of finishing schools to to be a, a you know, colleges and schools that are designed to make you a good rich person. So I, in movies, I just get the impression they're just, they've learned to balance things on their heads. Uh-huh. Like whenever you see a finishing school scene, isn't the young miss balancing like uh, some kind of tray on her head? Yeah. She went to uh, Miss Porter's school, which was a very famous sort of finishing academy in central Connecticut. I wonder those, what those were like at that time. Because we're getting away from a time when women just had to had to do needlework and, and uh, have good posture. So there must have been what? Singing, there's the the arts. Yeah, I think that you. How much of a real education do you think you got on one of those things? You, the, you, well, you need an education century. in order to hold your own in these drawing rooms. Um, but also, yeah, you were supposed to be. You were supposed to have a cause, right? As a rich woman in the 1930s and 40s, the poor children of, and then you would throw a dart at the math in finishing school and be like, right. uh, "Looks like it's going to be Balukistan for you." Jacqueline. Or it would be, you know, gardens or or museums. You know, you'd be a you'd be a patron of of something. I, it was not. I, I don't think that you were studying pharmacy, for instance, <laughs> um, but yeah. you, we got rid of our pharmacy program, but you can still take witty, but not too witty drawing room comments. 101. But you were probably, you probably, you know, you played squash. You were, a, you were meant to be a, a well-rounded person. Let's see there. Here's a list of some Miss Porter's school alumni. Um, Nellie Grant, daughter of Ulysses S and Julia Grant. Well, Alice Hamilton, the first female faculty member of Harvard Medical School. So some of them uh, um, go into actual fields. They're not just they're not just becoming wives of the distinguished. Which, right here we go. Madeline Breckenridge was a leader of the women's suffrage movement. Uh, Ruth McCormick was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Illinois. Wow. Princess Anastasia of Greece and Denmark. That would be a funny thing going to you know going to these fancy schools with all these uh, expatriate royals. But this this was in the era, I mean, this was sort of turn of the century. By the 30s, we have Barbara Hutton, who was the woman that coined the, or was was coined Poor Little Rich Girl. Is she the one, is she the heiress who, is she married, what, Cary Grant? Is that right? She had this very famous debutante ball. Did she marry Cary Grant? Yeah, she was married to Cary Grant for uh, three years in the 40s. Uh, Gloria Vanderbilt went uh, to Miss Porter's. So did uh, Edith Bouvier Beale of uh, Grey Gardens. Oh, so Jackie's what? First cousin? I cousin, can't remember. Right. Um, let's see. A lot of socialites. We have now uh, a mixture of Rockefellers and the like, but also mixed in with people, with women who go on to be like Barbara Babcock, who won an Emmy Award for writing Hill Street Blues. So it's it's an unusual mix. And this is this kind of elite admixture of, of very talented people and very privileged people. True of like the graduates of Yale too. Yeah. And it seems like some of them go on to just become gracious wives and hostesses, which right. was their, maybe the only avenue for success. But some of them actually achieve in medicine and academia and politics. 
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Uh, Lily Pulitzer went on to to uh, Finch College, which is, uh, again, a sort of... Um, College that treads both sides. It was both a, a like a. Wait, wait, are you saying it treads both sides? Oh boy, here we go. Yes, it treads both sides. No, it's like it a treads <laughs> both sides. <laughs> <laughs> it was a like a like a hotbed of early feminist thought, but mm-hmm. also was a place for socialites to get a little bit of, of polish. Like how much home ec and stuff like that, demeaning kind of stuff like that, do you think there is in these places? Well, it's not like any of these women were ever going to do their own cooking. I guess probably, that's right? true. I mean, Trisha Nixon went to uh, Finch College. So did uh, Kathleen Cavendish, the, the President Kennedy's sister. I kind of want my kids to be socialized. I've decided I'm going to send them oh, to... Wouldn't that be nice? Isabella Rossellini went there. Grace Slick went there. Wow. Imagine if you were there at the same time with Isabella Rossellini and Grace, and Grace Slick. Grace uh, that would be that would be a good time to sneak into a woman's college. <laughs> and see if they're having pillow fights. But so Lily uh, eloped after oh. graduating. She's a rebel. She's a rebel. And she eloped with Herbert Pulitzer. Pulitzer, Pulitzer, Pulitzer. I think it's like... Pulitzer. Say the opposite of push. Pulitzer. Yeah. She eloped with Herbert Pulitzer, the grandson of uh, the great Pulitzer Prize founding Pulitzer. Newspaperman Joseph Pulitzer. Joseph Pulitzer, the great great competitor of William Randolph Hearst. And again, a a philanthropist in his own right. And later in politics, he uh, he was in the house. That's right. Uh, the two of them eloped and went to Florida, where in the style of the sort of 1950s socialites who have decamped to sunnier climes, they opened a little orange juice stand at the on the side of the road by their... Uh, Wait, really? Well, they bought some orange groves. And of course, they don't have to work, really. Yeah, that seems a little ostentatious to... Uh... But, you know, it was... The faux poverty of having a fruit stand. It was pretty... It was fun times, you know? Like, uh, you can imagine being a young married couple who have a lot of money and like, what should we do? Let's buy an orange grove. It's funny how, uh, you know, in the colder climes of America, like, just endless tracts of orange trees seemed like such a... Like, they're always on old posters. Yeah, go to Florida. It's it's, Maybe it's leftover from the Dust Bowl. Just this idea that all you want is, is... Fruit trees as far as the eye can see. The oranges just grow. You can just pick them and drink delicious. They just grow out of the ground. Juice. Well, that's what uh, Lily and her husband were up to. 
um, they had a little little roadside stand and they served orange juice to passing cars. And no one knew they were both independently wealthy men. Well, they probably they probably spoke with very refined <laughs> accents, very clenched teeth. How to have your hair? He's got, a, he's got his pipe clenched <laughs> between his teeth as he's selling you a, a dozen oranges. But they're having fun, and she's a fun she's a fun lady. And um, at, at at one point, she felt like the orange juice that was sloshing on her uh, on her little chemise, her um, her what would you call her it? frock? Her frock. Thank you. Her the orange juice slopping on her frock was staining her clothes. She couldn't keep them clean because you, orange juice stains. You don't think of the downsides when you go into an orange based lifestyle. You think of the romantic travel posters, but that's right. But you don't think about oh, how am I going to get this orange juice out of my so white sticky. shift? So uh, so Lily started. She she designed a kind of bold floral print little sort of shift dress. A kind of short, jaunty. It's simple. It's modern. It's for warm A-line weather. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, designed this dress and started selling them there at the fruit stand as a kind of like, come get your orange juice and look at the little flowered dress. Um, not like a, not like a tiny little chintzy flowers, but big, bold, like screen printed flowers. Isn't there another omnibus that starts with a fruit stand and then the side product becomes the product? I guess it's maybe the yes, Knott's Berry Farm. It's the Knott's Berry Farm, right. Uh, so much of the, the greatness of America starts at roadside fruit stands. Yeah. Did you know Thomas Je- uh, Edison invented the light bulb uh, because his customers were tired of eating raspberries in the dark? They're like, ah, if only these candles wouldn't burn so so low. I can't even see my cantaloupe. Well, you remember the famous George Washington story of George, George Washington's fruit stand. He's selling uh, cherries from the side of the road, and his dad's like, George, where'd you get these cherries? Mm. And he was like... They were way up in the tree. How did you reach them, he's George? He's like, I cannot tell a lie. I do not know what dinosaurs are. <laughs> uh, so after not very long, Lily Pulitzer was selling more little dresses than she was orange juice. And she... What's the appeal here? Just the, fa- the fabric is kind of splashy and colorful in a way you wouldn't have really seen at the time? I think that, like, summer wear was a kind of unexplored territory for both men and women I- in the immediate after-war years. Most which, Americans didn't need vacation wear. until This is the first period where Americans need warm-weather vacation wear. We talked about that in the tortilla chips entry that people were starting to think... Let's go to California for a week. Let's go to Florida for a week. Middle classes could do this now. Prior to the war, most of Florida was just agricultural. Like it was an extension of, I mean, it was part of the American South. Once again, you want every episode to be about a swamp. (laughs) Well, I like them all to be about the Civil War eventually. But, you know, only the area around Miami was really a a vacation land. Mm -hmm. But after the war, we had all this... Uh, or Americans started to get disposable income. We started to have uh, interstate highways, and Florida started to be a burgeoning place. But if you were a wealthy person and could afford maybe linen garments, uh, there there was a way to dress properly and still be cool in summer. But I think most people just got by with uh, untucking their shirts or wearing khakis. I mean, there wasn't it wasn't proper for men to be. In shorts, there weren't summer dresses. I mean, this was also a, a time when when it, people were revealing more. You could be a middle class woman and go out without hose on. Right, that's the first time. This, by the way, is a it's a British data point, but this is actually what drives the plot of the 
classic novel, The Go-Between, hmm. is a young boy who gets sent on vacation to a wealthier friend's house and is very embarrassed that all he has is kind of his, his woolen suit. He does not have vacation wear. Right. And the family kindly puts him in kind of a Lincoln green, a jaunty Lincoln green summer weight suit, which just changes his life. <laughs> it just represents him everything about the class divide. So, well, so, now, so now middle class women can have something nice and modern for vacation. Well, we, we take it all for granted now, but, you know, a polo shirt, which is a kind of ubiquitous clothing item, uh, short sleeve shirts, seersucker as a shirt material, all these things are fairly recent. Yeah, the polo shirt had to be invented. Yeah. Men did not have a closet full of those. They had jackets and ties. And people in, in the early days of, I mean, the, even into the 30s and 40s, people were playing tennis in... In, Long in pants evening wear. and and you know <laughs> and, and a top hat and brogues and uh, and a shirt and a sweater. I mean, tennis like, sweaters. Yeah, some guy style. some guy can win Wimbledon in a in a cardigan and some kind of loafer. So she, for all intents and purposes, invented this style of uh, of summer dress that w- had a bold print and that was was sleeveless. And gave the appearance of kind of uh, a word that you love to use, insouciance. I don't know if I love it. You've used insouciance. This is the, its second appearance in the omnibus. You've used in, insouciance as much as I've used interregnum. As much <laughs> as I have uh, mispronounced interregnum. I'm going to start saying insouciance. <laughs> insouciance. To get the extra syllable that everyone loves. And Lily had a very, uh, she had a very clear sense of how she wanted this dress to be worn. She said that the dresses were lined so that you didn't have to wear underwear. Oh, and well, isn't that a little naughty for 1950 wherever we are? It was a little naughty. And she said she didn't, she didn't expect you to wear shoes if you were wearing this dress. This was, uh, these, these were fun dresses for women on vacation yeah, or women of leisure. It's beach wear, it's pool wear, you can play sports, you can go out on the boat. Right. Uh, no underwear. Wow. No underwear. I, I mean, mean, we're we're just a we're just a hundred years. We're less than a hundred years away from this most repressive underwear in history. Like, <laughs> t- well, think about you know what how crazy it was that women cut their hair in a bob in 1929, and uh, and here we are in 1959. And Lily Pulitzer is like, wealthy women shouldn't even wear underwear, darling. You uh, managed to not say panties, so. I did not. Well Thank done. you. Underwears, underpantons, pantaloons. I just saw somebody say panties or mantis. So no. for, for people who hate the word panties, now it's migrated to men's underwear. No. And you can wear mantis. No, you cannot. If you are a man and wearing panties, they are panties. And you're just wearing them as a man. I just assume mantis would be another word for briefs. There, there is already a word for briefs. And what, what, what is that? Briefs. Your story checks out. <laughs> uh, by 1959, uh, Lily Pulitzer got out of the orange juice selling business entirely and incorporated her company as Lily Pulitzer Inc. I assume she was never sewing this stuff herself. She well, she was. was oh, at fact. first she was the seamstress. And and uh, and one of the things that made her business explode in popularity was that her old classmate and chum, Jacqueline Bouvier, now Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy, uh, was photographed wearing one of Lily's creations, which Lily later claimed was made from a set of curtains, uh, like kitchen curtains that she took down and took some scissors to and made into a a cute little frock. She's really tapping into that kind of uh, inventive Scarlett O'Hara, Maria Von Trapp idea of, you know, the woman who can today's modern smart woman who can produce a smart outfit out of anything. Well, this may be what she learned at Miss Porter's school. 
right? I mean, curtain tailoring 101. She was learning uh, she was learning pharmacy and agriculture and and how to take a take a pair of shears to the curtains and make a dress for Jacqueline Kennedy. That's who, a, that's a good that's a real good origin story though to have that in your great. arsenal. Like, you know, today internet companies famously make like stuff like that up and will lie and say that their founder just wanted to sell his Pez dispenser, so he invented eBay. Just so there's a, a one-line hook that might make the Wall Street Journal. Well, this was, I mean, th- this picture of Jackie Kennedy in this bold floral kitchen curtain dress. And no underwear, possibly. Well, and, and almost certainly no underwear. Um, if, you know, if, if we're talking about, if we're talking about my origin story. <laughs> Your origin story is imagining Jackie Kennedy with no underwear? Before I imagined Jackie Kennedy with no underwear, I was just a normal farm boy. <laughs> and then I woke up the next day and I was a fashion designer in Italy. This dress became the must-have item of this sort of period. If you were a socialite in particular, the Lily Pulitzer was of your class and of your time and style. So wealthy women all needed lilies, as they called them. And of course, in America, if wealthy women all need lilies, then middle-class women want lilies too. And Lily's empire expanded to include all kinds of children's wear and home. She was sort of the proto-Martha Stewart. She became a kind of lifestyle brand, making clothes for, you know, making home accoutrements and garments and soaps and stuff throughout the 1960s and 70s for people aspiring to this preppy life. And this was before the term preppy existed. But it must feed into it, right? This must have been an influence on what became prep. So we've talked about the preppy handbook in a much earlier episode of The Omnibus, and they refer to Lily Pulitzer uh, several times in the preppy handbook. She's kind of a founding mother. Yeah, this is is part of the, of the, the prep style. And I mean, who's more prep than Jackie O? Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. At some point, did it did the fact that it was becoming a middle class thing kind of make it passe with the with the real elites? No, because Lily herself never stopped being who she was, Lily Pulitzer. And so, no, it was always affordable. And there weren't that many locations that you could you could get a Lily Pulitzer garment. I mean, you could get them in Cape Cod. You could get them in places where wealthy ladies ventured. But it was not it was not a time when the brand became a trademark thing that was available 
coast to coast. You couldn't just go to Montgomery Ward. No, there were there were little boutiques that you went, and it was they, these were aspirational garments. But it, but she influenced the style overall the style. I mean, you see this kind of bold print dress, the kind of Mary Mecco uh, silk screened garments. It, it becomes a big part of the the style of the late sixties. It's funny to think that that did, really didn't exist. Didn't exist. The you know the bright kind of bold, warm tropical looking stuff. And it was all very, I think, very fun and very innocent for Lily Pulitzer. She didn't need the money. That's, that's what's funny too. Yeah. Like these couple of millionaires opening a fruit stand on a lark and accidentally <laughs> make another million. Oops. Well, and like, if, oh, how fun! If you're a working class American, you must love stories like this. Luckily, her best friend was Jackie Kennedy, and everything worked out. <laughs> and she, I mean, she she didn't continue to make the dresses past the first few handfuls, right? She but it had, seems like some of, some of it was merit. I mean, she invented a new product that looked great that people wanted and might have made a go of it even if her school chum Jackie Kennedy hadn't put on one of them. Right. How, however, it was that the dresses conveyed beyond just the utility of a dress that you could spill orange juice on and and not be embarrassed, they conveyed a kind of casual confidence and sophistication without seeming dowdy or dowdy, I guess. And it still has, but it still has the, the orange juice proof. Yeah, orange juice proof. Too bad Jackie wasn't wearing one in Dallas. Oh, is, oh, it, is that in poor taste? Oh, God. What is the opposite of a bell? Like a gun? Should I, <laughs> That's should I kill you? What What do <laughs> this, I owe our listeners? This is the last I on, feel, on the bus. I feel like I owe them something in retribution this for that. This is the end of Omnibus. Well, by 1984, Lily was tired of it. I mean, it was no longer... I, she'd had her run, I guess, and she shut the well, she, she shut Lily Pulitzer down. She must have been well into middle age by the 80s. Yeah, she didn't... Uh, it wasn't a thing that she... She neither lived nor died on the strength or on the success of Lily Pulitzer. But by that point, she'd become an icon of the sort of Palm Beach style. Uh, she at no point ever agreed to make a Lily Pulitzer garment for a, for cold weather. She said, it's always sunny somewhere. <laughs> and so all of my stuff is going to be for summer or for sunny climbs. It wasn't... There's no Lily Pulitzer sweater. She predicted climate change. But she did make clothes for men, and they were also brightly colored, big lime green uh, jackets and and golf pants that had big patterns. And one of her signatures was that every Lily Pulitzer pattern actually had the word Lily written in it somewhere, camouflaged in it. And the patterns were extremely busy, so you know you could search one for a while before you actually found the Lily. Encoded in them, so it's kind of like a Where's Waldo or an Al Hirschfeld yeah, caricature. Right. You where's a, Where's Lily? There's a fun little game to play on your own sundress. But at ten years later, a company by the name of Sugartown Worldwide, who uh, it was a company owned by women who had grown up wearing lilies, as they said, and mm -hmm. their mothers had grown up wearing lilies, and they couldn't they couldn't bear that the brand was defunct and went to Lily and offered to buy the brand and resuscitate it, resurrect it. And so Sugartown bought the Lily brand, and Lily signed on as a consultant and approved the fabrics and was, you know, now she's sort of matronly and really 
it's exciting to her that the brand has revived. Another and, generation is going to see her designs, and she has she has something to do, I guess, on the uh, in afternoons, like go down and approve some uh, Lily Pulitzer, the, some new fabrics. But is this like when Martha Stewart starts to put stuff in Kmart, and it, you know what what happens to the brand? Well, in fact, that uh, that very thing. The the company expanded. They had uh, they they started opening Lily Pulitzer shops in various mm. places. The the Lily Pulitzer garments started to become available in Nordstrom and in Saks and Neiman Markets. They weren't they were still like upmarket clothes and expensive. Like make no mistake that these frocks were affordable. They were pricey, and that's what made them aspirational. You know they were fun and looked like easy and and neat, and you could wear them without underwear or shoes. But, but they also you had to be cost a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, you had to be a rich lady. Uh, so eventually, Sugartown got bought by Oxford Industries. As in all American stories, the capitalist ladder started to eventually Mead. Yeah, and takes and over. <laughs> Oxford owns Tommy Bahama, and you know is like a is like a major something called Southern Tide, which I can only imagine is uh, is, is a it? similar kind of preppy sort of Southern preppy style of clothes. It's like white power uh, dishwashing it, or white power uh, laundry detergent. <laughs> Southern so, Tide, use it on your sheets, even if they have eye holes. Kenneth Cole, Dockers. I mean, there right. are a lot, these, these guys are all like mobbed up. But at a certain point, just in recent years, in 2015, Lily Pulitzer announced a collaboration with Target. Oh. And Target's really famous for this for collaborating with a, a brand that's like kind of fancy or... A, an actual designer. Yeah, an yeah. actual designer who make, then makes a thing for Target, like a special limited edition thing. A less and, good version of their thing. It's kind of a Mephistophelian <laughs> deal that everybody's making. Uh, it was an enormous hit. Um, they sold out of every, you know, at every Target everywhere, instant sellout. And all of the... You know, all the Vanderbilts and Rockefellers and Whitney's, all the fourth generation Whitney daughters were all furious that that uh, Lily had. But now the poorest could wear Lily's. Yeah, Lily had screwed up their, screwed up the, the fanciness with her Target collaboration. But Lily Pulitzer and Pulitzer, Lily Pulitzer. Lily Pulitzer, nay Pulitzer. Uh, Lily Pulitzer garments on eBay, they go for extraordinary prices. Like the vintage ones? The vintage ones and even recent ones. I mean, you can get sort of the little mass market, mass made ones for 50 bucks or so. But if you're looking for vintage, let me just put this in here. This show is now mostly you looking for vintage trapper keepers and, and sundresses and stuff that you that you want to price. Like we just have to turn on a mic while you... <laughs> Goof around on eBay. <laughs> and this is now your show. So, yeah, I mean, you're looking at $150, $250 for, uh, for Lily Pulitzer designs from the 1970s. I think if you go further back, you'll see they get more and more expensive as people, they become sort of fashion Fetish items, you can tell from the different labels, like what era of Lily they are. We may have talked about this in the Preppy Handbook show, but it's weird that this stuff never goes or went out of style, really. Right, and and prep comes and goes, and various versions of prep come and go. But if you think about a 
preppy mom from 1976, which I often do. <laughs> which you are constantly She doing. is almost certainly wearing a Lily <laughs> Pulitzer cotton dress and uh, also smoking a Virginia Slim and is a day drunk. But it's amazing to think that at no point along the way, once preppy became a style, it's sort of like the Telecaster, the Fender Telecaster. They got it right the first time. The first Telecaster is still the best guitar. Well, yeah, if a product is really perfect, you can get away with it being exactly the same yeah. for 50 years. The preppy style of 1955 is just as preppy today. And that day at the fruit stand, uh, when Lily spilled orange juice on herself, the, the vision in her head was perfect. She, she nailed it the first time. The die was cash. She said, oh, I've got to get these underwear off. And that concludes Lily Pulitzer, entry 1007.LK1227, certificate number 12306, in the Omnibus. Futurelings, we hope you're interested in the fashion vagaries and peccadillos of the distant past. Look, if you're not, you're, you're listening to the wrong program. Although, Ken, I have, to, I have to note, you have not really done very many fashion shows. Let's not have it all fall to me. You've seen how I dress. Yeah, you could do a fashion show on... Like how many Gap T-shirts you can your wife can buy before before you notice they're all the same color? What would my clothing What would my clothing episode be? That's a great question. Uh, hey, honey, did these Costco jeans come with yes, a belt? That's exactly what it is. My fashion entry is Kirkland Industries. <laughs> Untuck it or whatever. What's what's the store where you wear the untucked shirts? Untuck yeah, it. Untuck it. That is a thing. Yeah, like you're gonna do Nantuck it, and I will do I'll Untuck do it. Untuck that's it. that's our fashion wheelhouses right there. Well, we presume you have a different number of limbs than us. Uh, perhaps right. some kind of shape changing ability, though. Correct. Like that would come in handy if you all have the kind of the modern mystique of the X Men thing, and you can fit into uh, human bipedal fashions. Uh, this may be of interest to you. You know, all you need to do is just put on as many. Lily Pulitzer dresses as you have appendages. That's exactly right? right. One for every tentacle. And if there's something you you ooze or some kind of uh, some kind of mucus, um, you know, it's the perfect dress apparently mm-hmm. for a splash of this mm-hmm. and a splot of that. No one's gonna be the wiser. Soaks it right up. Uh, so if you would like to see John's fashion sense, you can look at his Instagram at, at John Roderick. You're all, uh, everyone's welcome. I'm uh, at Ken Jennings on Twitter. John's on Twitter as well. Collectively, we are at Omnibus Project on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, many a social media platform for which we apologize. Yeah. It's an awful thing. It is terrible. Uh, With the exception of the Facebook Futurelings group, where we've seen a lot of photos of mail trucks and Christian Science reading rooms, but not so much of any of the fashion episodes. Hmm. I think there was some Hooters t-shirts mm. posted recently. But let's see your let's see your vintage Lily Pulitzers, everyone. Yeah, let's do. And I mean, you know, if you have uh, any uh, vintage Lily Pulitzers uh, that you want to send us. You could mail them to us. You could just put them in the mail. I don't know why they will probably not fit us, but John apparently has a, a very specific kind of early 60s mom in mind. I do. That he's shopping for. I do. So maybe she could wear them. Well, no, you know, I'll, I'll be that terrible guy who uh, gets a new girlfriend and is like, hey, try this on. You're, you're Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. <laughs> you could send those to Omnibus Project at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. 
or if you want to keep them for yourself, that's a little selfish. But you could at least send us a photo of them, which there you, you could which you could do uh, to the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, when this podcast could do multiple entries on the clothes that I find interesting, <laughs> and no one would mount a major complaint. No advertisers would stop advertising. Nobody would say, John, isn't this kind of a thin conceit? Even e- you just eBaying stuff from <laughs> mid-century America? Even my co-host would let it go by three <laughs> or four times before he, he started to, to raise some suspicions. <laughs> Wait a minute, these tabs are just open on your computer all the time. These aren't omnibus topics. This isn't a show idea. <laughs> this is just thrifting. Uh, we have no idea how long this conceit will survive. But we hope and pray that it continues long enough for me to finally collect every Lily Pulitzer design. Pulitzer. Every Lily Pulitzer design. We just need this show long enough for you to actually start saying Pulitzer right. Pulitzer, Pulitzer, Interregnum, Soviet. I'll be here all week. We've had, we finally added a new one to the, (laughs) a new one to the lineup. Uh, If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. One of these days, I'm just going to stop right there, and that will be the end. Our last show. Our final word will literally be the final word. Like all our recordings may be our final word. What? Wind-blowing. Static. Wind-blowing sounds. <laughs> but if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit... 